Welcome, friends, to Acts of the Blood God, an RPG podcast. We cover all RPGs, Eastern and Western. I am your host today, Nadia Oxford. Kat went out to buy cigarettes. She swore she's coming back, but then again, my father swore he was coming back, and that did not quite happen. I'm joking. He came back eventually, and I'm sure Kat will be back, too. She's just taking a small vacation. We'll, we'll see her again next week. But in the meantime, I'm actually joined by a very good friend of mine, and the uh, he's a huge, huge help on the Final Fantasy XIV part of the Axe of the Blood God Discord. Please say hello to Victor Hunter. Hi, everybody. It's me, Victor, the Solar Boy Hunter. That's right. It's officially summertime here in beautiful, sunny Vancouver. That means it's Boktai season, baby. Hell yeah, that's uh, actually summertime officially here in Toronto, and meaning it's very muggy. Ah, uh, I miss those Toronto summers where you just inhale water walking down the street. You absolutely do. You always inhale water in Toronto, no matter the season. Even the even the winters are weirdly humid. Oh, uh, if it, whether it's uh, frozen water in in the form of water that we all like to call snowflakes. Or evaporated water in the summer. Look, Toronto, landlocked, covered in water. It's a mystery to all of us. It's the Great Lakes. They they screw with us mightily. Not like the ocean. The ocean's a little more dependable. How's it going? Pretty good. I'm actually really glad that you could join us today. Thank you so much for doing this on short notice. <laughs> oh, no problem. I, it, I'm, I'm happy to be here. We are so happy to have you because, man, do we ever have an episode today. I actually got an interview with game remixer extraordinaire Alex Mukala. And are you familiar with Alex, Victor? Uh, just the most charming man I've ever seen. Uh, his enthusiasm and positivity is infectious. And the... The music community, the Final Fantasy community, and the internet in general is a a happier place with him in it. He's just I d I don't know what it is. He 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 always just puts the most positive enthusiasm forward. He's he's delightful. He's a real sweetheart. Like I had a great interview with him. I'm excited for everyone to hear it once we kinda got past the news and all the cool stuff, and we talked a lot about Final Fantasy music in general. A uh, certain emphasis on Final Fantasy XIV because he does a lot, a lot of analysis and remixes of Final Fantasy XIV music. Uh, he has, I think, Soken himself has acknowledged his work because he's just that damn good at what he does. But uh, before we get to that, and before we get to the news and all the really cool, fun stuff that makes Acts of the Blood God as charming as it is, let's do a little housekeeping. Thank you for supporting the Acts of the Blood God. Please hit up our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bloodgodpod. Supporting us at the $1 level gives you access to our fabulous Discord. And if you are part of our Discord, you can also be part of our Final Fantasy XIV Discord, which is quite active. And we had some some good raids going on. Uh, you guys did actually uh, call it Bahamut last night, didn't you? Yeah, I, I've been taking some, some new people through Binding Coil to get their clears on that. Because it's um, even though it's, it's side content from a long time ago, the thing about FF14 is that they, they never... They never leave a good idea for too long. So so even old side content kind of it it works its way into the MSQ later on. You always kind of come back to to these ideas. So I, I try to 
as people are working their way through, I try to to point them in the direction of some of the raids so that they're getting sort of the the holistic uh, approach to experiencing the narrative. And it's been fun. And that's always a good idea. Yeah, it's always a good idea to go through the raids in Final Fantasy. I should really take my own advice and get all of them done. We'll start Alex soon. We'll we'll get through Alexander in the in the next few weeks here. Okay, good, because yeah, I still got to do Alexander. So yeah, if you yeah. Uh, donate a dollar, you can be part of the Discord. And of course, talk more about more than Final Fantasy XIV. We talk a whole lot about games in general, music, weekly, weekly episodes, pretty much everything you can think of. Kat's always adding channels because people are always asking, hey, why don't we have a food channel? Why don't we have an anime <laughs> channel? Why don't we have an anime <laughs> channel about food? So <laughs> Kat's pretty good about adding what needs to be added. But if you give us $5 a month, you get access to the Axe of the Blood God episodes uh, that are ad-free one week early. Please contribute to that tier. I think it's a good one. For $10 a month, you get access to the Pantheon of the Blood God, a series that goes in-depth with an RPG every month and determines whether or not it should be enshrined on our Pantheon. That is, is it the best of the best? Our latest entry was uh, was Mass Effect. We had a really long, really involved talk with Eric Van Allen, who runs Normandy FM, a uh, Mass Effect slash Bioware podcast. And that was a really, really good episode. I really enjoyed that very much. I don't know if you're a Mass Effect fan at all, Victor, are you? Uh, I have tried um it it's it's gonna happen someday uh i've had so many people just heap effusive praise onto it and i i know i'll get to it someday yeah i i'm 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 glad it's out there and i'll i'll take a stab at it eventually but unfortunately i i don't have a ton of experience with it other than maybe replaying the first five or ten hours of the first one a couple times one day I won't bounce off of it. Good for you. Especially now that the remakes are out, you should uh, give it a try. Yeah, I, I think that'll probably be where I where I jump in. Well, as for playing stuff, are you playing anything in particular other than 14 um, that's, that you want to talk about today? Oh, Nadia, I'm, I'm having a good time. Uh, I, I usually have good. like three RPGs that I'm usually juggling at one time. At, at any given point, I've got three RPGs and like a shoot 'em up obsession going. I got my copy of SMT3 in the mail, so I'm looking forward to jumping into that. Uh I'm still I'm still working on Persona Strikers. Um I know I'm I'm a little behind there, but uh I'm I'm enjoying that from from what I've played so far. Uh, and I'm also sort of kind of gearing up for Tales of Arise later this year. I'm going back and revisiting a bunch of Tales games. Um, and currently, that would be Tales of Zillia, which um, was the series like 15th anniversary release when it first came out, and now it's over. And now it's over 10 years old and yay yeah hey i want to feel old <laughs> <laughs> the tale series is very good at making you feel old it sure is uh but yeah that's been really fun and um you know what's what's nice about those is is whenever you go back to a tales game you get to start that new game plus up again and mm -hmm. nobody does a new game plus better than tales games so uh yeah, I've got my experience boosters on. I've carried over all my old skills, and I'm just kind of 
blowing through the game on highest difficulty and it's delightful so that sounds like a lot of fun we are going to have a tales episode eventually because eric van allen is an absolute madman about tales so i've only played vesperia and i haven't finished it but i really enjoyed it i i will get back to it because it's actually really hilarious it's a funny funny game it's very well written it's it's i mean that's that's something that all the games do really well is the dialogue and the the inter interpersonal mm-hmm. relations with all the characters are, are, are always really funny. So, yeah, I, I'm excited for you to finish Vesperia. I, I would really love to know what you think about it. Plus, it has uh, the dog, Rapide. It's got Rapide. <laughs> Rapide is amazing. And the and the 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 uh, definitive edition gives Rapide so many costumes. He never had any costumes in the 360 version. So one of the best things about Tails is is all the weird costumes, and it makes Rapide that much more viable as a party member. Being able to to dress up your smoking dog like a baseball player, and yeah, it's, I think I had him dressed up as like a cowboy or something ridiculous like that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. He's got some good stuff. But I am also playing SMT3 right now because that is actually, speaking of the Pantheon of the Blood God, that is our next entry into the Pantheon. And uh, we will be discussing that soon. And right now it's part of our Blood God Game Club, which again is part of our Discord. So if you are playing SMT3, please join us. We are having a great time. I have, I'm like, I I had to get back to it after a long break because I had to do other games like Pokemon Snap. I finished that finally. I really love that stupid game. I thought it was just so... <laughs> I can't believe how sucked into it I got. But now I'm done. It's over. What uh, What does the end game of new Pokemon Snap look like? Because I remember in the original, it was like once you've taken a picture of Mew, that's like... That's the ultimate achievement. That's the coolest thing you could do in in original Pokemon Snap. Is there an equivalent this time around? Yeah, there's kind of an equivalent. I won't give away who it is or what it is. There is like New Game Plus stuff, though. Like uh, once you finish with the final photo session, there's like, hey, this stage you already went through. Like there's a nighttime option now. So you can go ahead and, and photograph like plenty more Pokemon and I can keep on playing if I want to, but I have to get to other games now. <laughs> I've spent too much time on Pokemon Snap. What a fun, stupid game. I loved it so much. It's going to be one of my games of the year, probably. It's just so relaxing. I can't really... Uh, I'm sure like this criticism that can be lobbed at it, and it's, it's valid, but I just had a good time with it. What are you going to do? Sometimes a game is just fun. Yeah, well, it's, it's Pokemon Snap. It is. You get to take pictures of Pokemon. It says it does exactly what it says on the box. That's exactly it. And like I said on this podcast before, and I've said to Cat, I just like feel like I miss my calling working with as like with nature and being out in the outdoors. And as much as I hate the outdoors, I like animals. So I would have liked to do. I would have loved to do that kind of stuff. But uh, here I am, a writer on a microphone. I, I like it too. But <laughs> hey, you you could get really into the photo mode in FF14. I've done that. <laughs> But mostly to just take pictures of dirty jokes and say, look at what this guy's saying. He said a dick joke. (laughs) There was a leak or a rumor or something of that sort about SMT5 that supposedly is coming on for the Switch on November 11th. Uh, That's Remembrance Day for us Canadians. Way to way to celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) seriously. It's uh, I mean, it's a grim day and it's a grim game. So uh, I guess we're, we're doing okay for ourselves here. But yeah. uh, what we know about the game, at least like according to the rumors, is supposedly set in a kind of a desert world called Da'al, Da'ath, where gods can be as big as mountains or they can be humongous birds and cool stuff like that. 
The main character fuses with a mysterious man, becomes a Naubino, a forbidden being that steps in between the fight between gods and demons. So it sounds very, again, SMT, but hey, I'm always up for a little uh, sparring between gods and demons and trying to get them to either stop or fight more, depending on my mood. Are you are you an SMT fan, Victor? Yeah, I I absolutely am. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um I don't mean to um ooh, mench splain? Is that? Uh but uh I think it's it's either dot or doth is usually how it's uh uh localized. Um but it's it's some more it's some classic Borwin from the Sephirot. It's some tree of life stuff so uh mm-hmm. it's it's some some classic smt just borrowing from from world religions uh and uh yeah i'm 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 excited to to figure out what that means and how how far into how far into some 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 tree of life stuff we're going to get as far as lore goes cuz that that could be very cool i was saying the other day i can't remember where it was but just uh, how I don't mind it when JRPGs, especially SMT, like appropriates from Judaism because they make it sound so metal, like the menorah of power. Yeah. Oh, I, I, we, we, yeah, we, we've had a talk, uh, relatively recently about like some, like when, when cultural appropriation is, is cultural exchange, especially in JRPGs and how, like, how cool that is when they do it well and, and just sort of, yeah, I, I, I get the same same feeling. Um, you, ah, man, I I hate to bring it back to fourteen every thirty seconds, but have you have we have you done the warring triad yet? No, I haven't. Um, I tried to beat, okay. I think Sephiroth on by myself solo, and it was not yeah. happening. And I said, you know what, I'm gonna wait till I can actually do this. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a cool fight. That's it's got some great. Uh, it's it's very very 90s nomura inspired the way he he originally set up the warring triad in in ff6 to be like like the 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 warring triad the the three of them all represent sort of different religions and philosophies and it's so right. it's so 90s jrpg in the best way uh so I, i'm excited to to take you through those too because that's very fun. Uh, let me tie it back into Tales, too. Uh, Tales of the Abyss uh, also does mm-hmm. tons and tons and tons of stuff with, with the, the Tree of Life and, and, and all that symbolism. So we're, yeah, look, it's, it's well-trod JRPG territory, but uh, it's, it's comfortable. It's like a nice, a nice warm blanket that you've had for 20 years that you know is going to treat you right, so... Yeah, I'm 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 stoked for SMT. I think the like the Kabbalah stuff and the Sephiroth and all that stuff is is kind of fun. Like I said, but it's funny. I grew up religious-ish. My grandfather was extremely religious, mm-hmm. and he's called like the Kabbalah and all that stuff like Nurskite, which is like Yiddish for children's nonsense. So. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the mysticism part of it is not something I really grew up with, but I do know it's kind of funny when like I talk to my dad about JRPGs once in a blue moon and I can bring up certain monsters and certain like Sephiroth and Behemoth and Leviathan and he's like, I know those things. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> he studied like Talmud yeah. and stuff like that. 
And uh, I need to still tell him about Emmett, Emmett Selk, and the meeting oh, going yeah, on there. Oh, yeah, totally. Because the, the, all the, the, the Asians and stuff borrow names from, from the FF12, like the Scions of Light, which are the, like, the opposites of the summons that you get, the Espers in FF12. And yeah, they're, yes. they're all... Not, not only are their names borrowed from a bunch of different world religions, but they're like deep dives, like like stuff that there aren't Wikipedia pages for, you know, like some somebody has an old book that they are pulling these names and, and the nomenclature from. It's very cool. I love it. That's your specialty, basically. Yeah. And well, I think we, we sort of have a, a, a similar um relationship to that kind of stuff because i i grew up uh you know playing ff4 and fighting ogopogo and i mm-hmm. i literally grew up where ogopogo is said to live so i always i always love that <laughs> that's amazing i love that, that real world connection yeah feeling feeling like identifying with a jrpg because they pull so much from real world stuff is is, is very fun what were we talking about? Well, we were get, we we were talking about news and stuff. Actually, it's uh, not off topic because Square <laughs> Enix sort of announced there was coming up at E3, and it's kind of feels like they're telling half the story. Where there's like a, yeah. a lot of Western stuff, uh, but the Japanese stuff is noticeably absent from their lineup. Well, I have what I'm going to call an educated hypothesis about. Okay. Something that might be getting shown at this event. And it's really, really, really exciting. And um yeah, there there it's going to be a huge surprise, and I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. I, I don't have a guarantee that it's going to be at this particular event, but like I say, educated hypothesis. So I have heard about Team Ninja doing something with Square. Is that to do with it? Like the action-based Final Fantasy? No. Oh, now I am extremely intrigued. I figure that the really exciting stuff is probably going to be limited to Sony's uh, demonstration because they tend to get uh, most of these as exclusives, at least timed exclusives, so... I can see why yeah. Square's not saying on Twitter, hey, everybody, we're going to do blank. And yeah. so all they can really say for now is, yay, Avengers. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I have no idea what platforms it's going to be coming out for, but it is for, for fans of some 90s Squaresoft, uh, it's, uh, it's a really, it's, it's going to be really, really cool. If I'm right at all. I, I hope you are right. Yeah. I, I hope you are right. Because I am... Yeah, this is what shaped me up to be a pretty exciting E3, even though at the time of this recording, Nintendo still hasn't come out and said, yes, the Switch Pro is happening. So I am kind <laughs> of glad right now that I don't write news anymore because the whole industry has been on tenterhooks like for a week and a half now, two weeks maybe. It's been a little bit ridiculous. So good luck to oh, all man. y'all who are just kind of probably waiting and waiting and waiting and i don't know if it's going to happen at this point i still think maybe it it was going to happen and nintendo being nintendo got gun shy because everyone was talking about it so it will happen but maybe next week or maybe who knows they will wait until e3 at this rate who 
it, it it could have plenty to do with I don't know chip shortage or just materials mm -hmm. and and just like putting a putting a delay on it just so that they know they'll be able to put it on the shelves when it when it gets here. Who am I kidding? It's Nintendo. They don't they don't they don't care. They love scarcity. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess, um, gosh, we'll see soon, because I believe, when does E3 kick off? Like, E3 so scattershot to begin with, and this year is really scattershot, so I know that I, I think I thought, Square... I official E3 was the 15th, but then there's so many events in right. and around that that are on, like, the 13th and the 12th, and it's it's become sort of a nebulous cloud of events. It, it really is, yeah, and... Yeah, it's always been a, a bit of a bear to cover because of that. But I'm not covering it. I'm just sitting here looking at cool announcements, and I'm pretty okay uh, with that this year. Congratulations! Thank you, Victor. I see here you you added in our notes that there is a life size slowpoke available for pre order. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just for anyone interested in that, uh, it's real big. It's real doofy looking, and uh, if you're kind, of, if you're the kind of person who bought that that Gengar <laughs> pillow where you put your mm. head inside its mouth and roll out its tongue to lay on. This could be right up your alley. There was also recently something similar with a Metapod, and I wrote, I remember one of the last stories I wrote for US Gamer actually was like, you can now crawl into Metapod's cold, dead womb and sleep. <laughs> and I remember that being an interesting revelation for me because i'm like you know what i write a lot about pokemon and my little nephew loves pokemon but i can't show him my articles and whose fault is that nadia oh totally mine. no one but your own yeah. <laughs> i <laughs> i claim responsibility 100 uh but i have fun and that's the point and you also added here that there is a new trials of arise gameplay trailer uh yeah, um, yeah, I, I, it's it's gonna be sort of just you know a, a slow drip of some tales exhibition trailers, but there was one just came out of the Mystic Arts, which is usually like everybody's very very fancy attacks. Um, in the past, Mystic Arts used to be special. Uh, they used to be cool and like secret inputs that, that they didn't tell you in game and were very tricky to pull off. Basically, ever since I think I think Abyss, Mystic Arts have just kind of turned into like your big finishing moves that you pull off every couple battles. Um, but they're always cool. They're always a nice showpiece of of, you know, some some cool cinematography and, and classic anime, uh, you know, big, big finishers. So. It's kind of cool. I'm 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 finding it tough to get hyped for Tales of Arise. Um I don't know. That's <clears throat> that's been sort of a uh, a blind spot in in a lot of JRPG coverage uh is sort of Namco's recent JRPG output in the last few years. Stuff like um even you know, God Eater sometimes gets some coverage, um, but there's games like uh, uh, Code Vein was a couple years ago, and and Scarlet Nexus is coming out, and I be I believe the director of Tales of Arise had a lot of involvement with those games, and that's kind of why we're seeing Tales of Arise being a bit more like, you know, 
gunmetal and and red and like its color scheme is very it they're they're going for some kind of gritty key art to kind of bring in that crowd who who likes those games and and I don't I don't know it's it's fine it'll it'll be what it'll be but I usually go for tales I I, I go to tales for like the the Kosuke Fujishima and Mitsumi Inomata character art, you know, it's always colorful. It's very anime, very flowery, very just kind of lighthearted looking. And then it layers in sort of the 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 darker JRPG themes on top of that. But I feel like I feel like making it try to look like a gritty, mature JRPG is gilding the lily a little. I don't know. It's uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Tales, mm. Tales correspondent Eric Van Allen will will go into plenty of detail, but um, yeah, it's uh, I'm 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 having to work to get excited about a new Tales game, and that's not usually the. Well, I do hope you are pleasantly surprised, Victor, and I believe that really wraps it up for the news for today. So let us move on to our main topic, which is a very exciting interview with game music remixer and composer extraordinaire Alex Mukala. Do not go away. Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater composer and saxophone player Norihiko Hibino and Etrian Odyssey pianist Ayaki join forces to become Gentle Love, the ultimate video game jazz duo. Their billboard charting album series, Prescription for Sleep, Game Music Lullabies, turns game music into jazzy lullabies to sleep, relax, and study to. And the 11th installment, dedicated to Stardew Valley, co-produced with Concerned Ape, is out now. series includes several compilations, one of which turns battle themes into lullabies, and other volumes dedicated to Secret of Mana, Undertale, Celeste, Shovel Knight, and Wizard of Legend. There's even a charity single dedicated to the memory of late Nintendo president Satoru Iwata. Listen on Spotify and Apple Music or download on Bandcamp. Learn more at scarletmoon.com sleep. Now, back to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, and I am here with our very special guest, Alex Mukala. Thank you for having me. Like, we're going to talk about Final Fantasy music. I'm, I'm all up for it. <laughs> <laughs> there is never, ever, ever a bad time to talk about Final Fantasy music. Uh, one thing we say a lot here on Act of the Blood God is that music is so important to understanding RPGs, uh, the genre that we love. And I would say that you would agree with us on that one, wouldn't you? Yeah, it like I think games wouldn't be the same without their music. Same for films or anything like, but yeah, 
definitely, yes. Uh, actually, to start out, I wanted to ask you very briefly, what is your background with music? Like, has it been a lifelong love? Is it something you recently started pursuing? Well, I've fell in love with music, actually. I think the first, the first times was like watching MTV when I was like four years old. And, and that was from four to six. When I got six, I got a PlayStation 1 with Final Fantasy 7. And I lived in Italy when I was younger. I didn't speak English, but the, and the game was in English. But I still played it a lot, and the music in that game impacted me insanely. Even though I was clearly aware that the instrument's quality like, was MIDI, so it wasn't like mm. the real instruments, it still felt incredibly real. I remember headbanging it to the boss theme of Final Fantasy VII, the one with the guitars. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I was like, wow, this speaks to me some way. I don't know how it does it. And... Yeah, that's where I got my first exposure, I would say, to music. But I never really did much with it uh, until when I was uh, around 19. When I was young, I thought that you had to be a musical genius from the get-go or you had no say into making music. You know, there was this connotation that people often have that there's the gifted ones and there's the, the normies and the normies will never amount to anything Great. Aww. And one day I stumbled upon this website called Overcropped Remix. And it's, there's this beautiful community of people who make remixes of video game music. And they came up with a Final Fantasy VII album. And I listened to it. I'm like, these people, like, they were just normal people. They had, like, all nicknames and stuff. But they, were, they weren't, like, famous, like, I don't know, Skrillex or whatever. But these remixes I heard, some were electronic, some were orchestral, and some were, like, funky. And you had all of it. And they were all incredible. And I'm like, wow, even normal people can make music? So I was like, maybe I can do it too, because it was always a dream of mine to do something nice with my life and spread some positive messages throughout the work that I did. And I think music is one of the best ways to communicate with people. So I was like, I would love to be a composer. But until that moment, I felt like I had no say in that, that I could never be do, do that. And then I found that website and I was like, wow, okay, some of these people even made tutorials for music production and I watched them and I started making music a little bit over the summer, I spent one month and then I gave it up. <laughs> and then a few years after, when I was 19, I really started to think, okay, what do I want to do with my life now that I'm fresh out of high school and I, I'm signing up to uni and my day job and stuff. I was like, hey, I actually would like to do that music theme for real. So I pretty much dropped everything after a few months of high school, of university rather, and of my day job as an IT programmer, I dropped both and just focused on learning music, uh, self-taught for the most part, and don't do nothing all day, every day, but writing music. I haven't seen my friends, I haven't seen, like, I haven't had girlfriends and stuff for some years, and I developed this career of mine, and it's become my dream come true in my life, and yeah, that's the origin story. <laughs> That's really actually cool because um, I'm quite familiar with OC Remix. Uh, I've been a games writer for quite a long time. And one of my earlier pieces was writing kind of a profile of OC Remix and the people who were remixers at the time. And I was just thinking of some of the really incredible artists who, uh, unfortunately, yeah. I haven't heard from in a very long time. Like there was one fellow in particular who called himself I Am, uh, Am I Evil. And he made this really, really incredible to this day, still my favorite remix of Mega Man 4, uh, of, I think it was Flash, uh, um, Bright Man's theme, or Dust Man's theme, sorry. And it's called Let There Be Light. And it's just absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous piece of music. And I really wonder where he is these days and how he's doing. And I, I hope if you listen to this, Am I Evil, uh, you're out there and you're still making music because you were pretty, pretty darn incredible. 
Yeah, I remember some of his uh, remixes. I remember that name. And some some of these people, like, they uh, they really went to do some very incredible mm-hmm, things, you mm-hmm. know. Like, Wilbert Roger, for example, became a freaking legendary composer in the video game music industry. And I didn't know that. I didn't know he actually crossed over. That's really cool. Yeah. And there's also, like, Zircon became, like, uh, founded one of the biggest music software companies that create some very interesting and beautiful instruments. And some of them still make music. And... They have improved so much since, you know, back then. So it's just, it's amazing to see how far they've come. It's actually really amazing when you think about it, how much that, well, there you go. Like video games have kind of brought us together and made it possible to make a career out of stuff like music. Um, I started writing because of video games and here I am, hooray. Mm. Um, So it's really cool (laughs) that now you're making a career out of music. You just mentioned um, a lot of people out there who uh, started their music careers because of OC Remix. Uh, actually, I'm really good friends with someone named Dark Sword. He's a composer at uh, OC Remix as well. Shout out to Dark Sword if you're listening. Hi, how you doing? Uh, yeah, so I was actually going to ask you when you realized that RPG music was just kind of... Transcendental. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I was going to ask you, yeah. like, And I guess it was Final Fantasy VII, wasn't it? Or maybe before that? Yeah, it was like the cool thing about... I was talking about this just before. I did a short interview about Final Fantasy music again. And uh, you're busy. They, the the person. I just wanna. I just wanna. You know, if when I can talk about this because I'm this. Of course. It deserves the love. And w- the one question they asked me is like, "Hey, do you find there's a specific technique that is used throughout the, the saga that makes its music stand out?" And I'm like, "No, there isn't really the one specific technique that is unique to Final Fantasy. But Final Fantasy has always been this series of games that really, with this music, tried to do stuff that." is beyond what people think is possible for video games. Like, in Final Fantasy VI, Nomatsu wrote a freaking opera, like yes. Maria and Draco. And then in Seven, I think he, he must, might have been one of the first people to do this. In Seven, he wrote One Winged Angel that featured a Latin choir, which were people who actually sang the choir parts. And back in the day, music was made with, like, cheap, like sound phones and stuff like that, you know, internal to the PlayStation. You have to use instruments... They were like digital and software in terms of PlayStation. So they had to go out of their way to create, like to, to record a choir and mm-hmm. then synthesize it inside the PlayStation chip font or sound font so that they could use in the music. So they kind of invented an instrument for that track only. And that was mm-hmm. probably one of the first times you actually had proper sang choir from real people in a video game song. And yeah, Final Fantasy is a series that keeps on doing this. Like every time they keep, like Final Fantasy XIV won the Guinness record for the biggest, I think biggest soundtrack ever made for a, for a, for a series of games and stuff like that. Like they always try to look beyond. Yes. And so the music is great. It sounds great, but also the implementation of it is like beyond what people fit, like would think at the time. Seven Remake is another example. It's like, yes. One of the most insane soundtracks I've ever heard in my life. And uh, both in terms of variety, the amount of music written, the quality, like it could be a movie soundtrack and you wouldn't flinch an eye. You'd be like, exactly. yeah, this, is, this fits perfectly. And it's, it's even, I would say, even better than a movie soundtrack because it has a soul that is very mm. strong. And, oh my God, I could speak about it for the whole day. But oh, yeah, me too. Like, That's why I we're think... here. <laughs> Not for the whole day, don't worry. <laughs> but I, I think Final Fantasy is a series that transcends a bit more on every single entry, even Final Fantasy XIII. In that case, Namazashi Hamozu transcended some concepts of music theory, in my opinion, because what it does from a compositional level is 
It's as if, like, we discovered a piece of alien technology and we revolutionized our art with it. He discovers some... Rather discovered, that's just his style. He writes harmonies in a way that is very unlike mm -hmm. most composers. Mm -hmm. He dares to play with notes that normally people would say are wrong. Because, mm. oh, this is not major, it's not minor, it's a weird chord, what are you doing? But that level of, I would say... uh blending light and darkness in a way that yes. is so novel he creates some some piece of music that are very unique and contrasting you know that can sound both heroic and depressive at the same time final fantasy 13 was the game with the depressed heroes and yes. we are used <laughs> to our heroes being stoic being immovable being you know smiling all the time of well, 13 is kind of depressing but yeah. also it's about overcoming depression so there's a bit of darkness inside the light and the light inside the darkness and in the game and in the music as well and mm -hmm. i cannot think of many soundtracks that do that so like all final fantasy games transcend in their own way i think so that's kind of the answer that's a good answer uh, it actually segues into what i was going to ask you next which was about um of course final fantasy 14 which is an incredible incredible soundtrack you have made uh much of your channel by um analyzing yeah. each like the, these uh, incredible soundtracks and um i was going to ask you have you really known a composer quite as diverse as soken because to me he's absolutely out of his mind in the best way possible well well it's definitely now that i think about it i'm not entirely sure wematsu himself is actually like wematsu is, is very yes he's very versatile as well like he made, like, the difference between Soken, like, the thing about Soken is that we are witnessing the extent of his, like, variety and talents in a very short time. Right. Because Final Fantasy fourteen is still very young. Like, uh, mm. the, the Aram Reborn was released in 2013, right? So that's less mm. than 10 years ago. And in less than 10 years, this man has created such a variety of music that is, like, insane. Also, like, the music softwares available to us nowadays make it possible to Good point. for composers to embrace a wider variety of genres. But yeah, I think during like of our time right now, of the composers very active right now, maybe Soken is one of the most like versatile. But Wematsu also back in the day was very versatile too. But it was, you know, we experienced that at a much slower rate. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's he's great. He's he's crazy. And I think he's like the fun thing about Soken is that I think at the core he's he's just a rock star. He is totally because, a like, rock star. Because you definitely feel like the the tracks where you feel the most hype and the ones that resonate with the mo uh, that resonate with people the most are the primal tracks, the ones with the vocals mm -hmm. and stuff, or the opening and ending tracks, you know, Shadowbringers and stuff like that. That's they usually have like a band arrangements. They're like rock guitars and stuff like that and vocals. And I think he really loves that those the most. And then he's also able to write beautiful orchestrations or some you know electronic music even or jazz and stuff, but. Maybe at, at his core, he's a rock star. But he was the best choice as a composer for the game, I think, because like Final Fantasy XIV is a game where you can change class any second. You can change your playing style any second. And the soundtrack kind of reflects that by having all these different genres. You know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because like one one moment I could be a level 80 Dragoon, the next moment here I am a level 30 Crafter and Limsa Luminsa, yeah. like driving up the market prices. So, so that you got exactly. a, a very good point there. Uh, I think Soken once mentioned that his favorite band is System of a Down, and I can I can certainly hear that in his style. Especially, yeah. um, I was listening. I've been obsessed lately with the Alexander Raid music. 
because that is mm. to me that is a perfect perfect example of the extent of the extent of his talents where you have uh the very daft punk sounding uh music and you also have literally a sentai theme uh from the 70s with the trumpets and everything like that It's interesting also, it's very interesting because Soken also has some, uh, like, his, the roots of his sound or the, the inspirations that he has are very kind of all over the place. Like, for uh-huh. example, System of Down. And also Rage Against the Machine are, he's That's also right. a big fan of, of those band, that band. And both bands are kind of, you know, like, dark, right? Mm-hmm. Hard rock, but they're very dark. And Soken is this very happy-go-lucky person. So already you're like, how does this work, you know? So he get, maybe he gets like his energy from there. And as for the trumpets during the uh, Brute Justice, Alexander, like Soken's father, I think, played the trumpet. Really? And I Soken's didn't know mom, that. Yeah, he told me that in the interview that we did. And his mom did taught piano or something. Uh-huh. So his parents both gave him inspiration on different instruments, I suppose. And then his bands that he liked. And and he also grew up playing like uh, on Sega console, so maybe he played some Sonic games, I suppose. So maybe that's where the more funky, you know, electronic music sounds What an interesting from, mix probably. of inspirations when you think about it, I'm, especially. I'm kind of like, yeah, some things he said, but about the Sonic, I'm not sure about Sonic, but probably, like, I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, putting dots together. And as the, the most interesting thing is that he's probably as much interested in, in sound design as he is in music. That's where he started his career as sound designer. And then mm. he became like, the composer just after. And he still worked on the sound design. So I I don't know. Like, I think he, the thing about Soken is that he's coming at this from a completely different perspective is mm-hmm. what I'm noticing. So that's probably why his sound is very unique too. It is. Um, I was actually going to ask you as well. How do you, like, do you pay as much attention to the lyrics that go on behind his songs? Because I think one of the most interesting things about Final Fantasy XIV is how you have the story of the primals usually told within the song, like Equilibrium tells the story of Sophia, <laughs> the goddess, for example. And God only yeah. knows what's going on with the lyrics with Ale- the Alexander Rates. I read think, something recently <laughs> saying that Koji Fox was literally delirious with sleepiness when he wrote the the songs for uh, the lyrics for Locus. And that's why it's just, okay, here's a number. It rhymes with, it rhymes with the word the. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so I, as Could a writer, I'm for, just extremely interested in the lyrics. I just wondered if you were uh, had the same level well, for of the, For the Alexander, like the, my favorite lyrics are probably the Ravana theme. The yes. storm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, apart from the, the, the singing itself, it's amazing. I love the style. Mm, absolutely. But the fact that there's this like entity that sings about himself in third person... <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's legendary. And I think, yeah, like personally, I, I listen to, I listen to not necessarily like what the lyrics are saying, but how they sound for the most part, because, I, you know, as a composer, I'm like more impressed with that. But also as a, as a player, it's very curious for me to hear what the lyrics are saying or to check out the lyrics because often they contain hints to the story or after I finish the story, 
I listen back to the music and I'm like, oh my God, the lyrics meant this thing all along. Mm-hmm. This is what, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible the level of detail they add in the lyrics to represent the story of the game, which to me is very precious because in, in RPG music or in video game music in general, the, I, I pretty much like everything, but usually the, the vocal themes that play at the credits are the ones that I'm like, uh, I don't know about this one. Yeah, you know, I, I, <laughs> I know what you because mean. Because they sound, to me, out of place. Mm-hmm. Also, maybe because I have really like instrumental music. Mm-hmm. But that's often because I find that the lyrics do not speak about the game, really. It's mm. just a pop song that sounds good and that could promote the game as a single. But it's not about the game. It's right. like, oh, we took this famous artist and her image and brand is going to sell our game better for us. I, I, or not better, but it's going to sell it more right. to, the, to the normie fans. And I'm like, this feels like treason. You, you, I feel as a fan, you made this game for the fans or did you make it for the fans of Ariana Grande? Sorry, Square Enix. I, lo- I love you, Square Enix, but, you know, that's one example. And I'm like, with Final Fantasy XIV, they don't do that. They actually, yeah, they use uh, musicians and singers and stuff that maybe they're not necessarily fans of the games but their soul is in it like they they they, mm-hmm. they they sing about characters in the game they they like you can feel the vocal music in this case is made to accompany the game and it's yes. about the game and it works very well even outside of the game but as a fan you're like oh wow this is about us you know exactly so, exactly uh, yeah. I know I know what you mean there in particular because uh before I started playing Final Fantasy 14 I think one of the things that really uh, actually, I wrote an analysis on US Gamer when I was writing for them uh, about mm-hmm. answers because I thought it was just a really, really fascinating song long before I played the game. Uh, the fact that it, it wasn't written for this purpose, but it really does come across as a game about, uh, sorry, a, a song about the game ending and starting again. And yeah. I talked to my friends I said who played the game. I said, like, you played 1.0. Is this is this why the song was written? They said, no, it just happened to to be a, a really creepy coincidence. But I listened to what they were saying and I thought it was a very sad song because, of course, their video game characters are not real. But then the way they're kind of almost mourning their own death, like, you're the ones who screwed up this game. Why do we have to die for it? Why are you <laughs> dropping meteor on our heads? And yeah. the answer is, well, it, it just, you have to go. It has to happen. People live and they li- and they die. And just listening to yeah. that, I realized, you know what? I, I think I might like to try this game. And then it's been like downhill ever since. I mean, uphill. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad you tried it. And, you know, that's, that's one beautiful way of selling a game. Like another song, another vocal song that is very well made is Hollow from Final Fantasy VII. But that one, I was never remake, but that one, initially I had the feeling of like, uh, I don't know about this one because I, I, didn't have, I didn't play the game at that point. Did you play mm-hmm. it? Remake? Yeah, I played it. Yeah? I finished okay, it. So, at, at the beginning, I was like, I don't know what this tells me about Cloud. Why should it? Like, the one thing is that it sounded kind of like Crisis Core vibe because of, like, the, yes. uh, the instrumentation. But apart from that, I'm like, this doesn't tell me much about Cloud. But after mm. beating F7 Remake and seeing, noticing certain details about the story and stuff, I was like, oh, my God. Yes. This song actually is about cloud in a way that I couldn't even understand when I first began the game. But now that I beat it, I'm like, wow, wow, this is crazy. And also, like, it's a very nice song. But it is that that that, you know, I was like, I, I reflected on this 
just a few weeks ago, by the way, I beat the game last year. <laughs> so uh, <yeah. laughs> it took me a year to reach to the conclusion of like, oh, the lyrics are about cloud for real. Yeah. So yeah. that's that. I think I think also that's also the mark sometimes of good video game music is if you notice details about it even after years. Like I had this moment even with Final Fantasy twelve, but in that case, not because of the lyrics, it's because of the music and the melodies. Uh, there were some hidden melodies that keep on resurfacing throughout the soundtrack, but they're from like he, like the composer Hitoshi Sakimoto reuses these melodies in such an elegant and new way all the time that you barely realize he's like using the same melodies over and over. And he does that to represent certain characters. Like in Star Wars, you have the force themes in in certain scenes and you have the empire strike back, whatever, uh, the theme of the empire that plays every time the Darth Vader is there. In Final Fantasy XII, we have a similar thing happening with the characters, uh, the protagonists, and the Imperials, and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, video game music is usually way more detailed than people realize, and it takes us years to realize the wonders of uh, what we heard. One thing that actually kind of fascinates me a little bit, uh, I mentioned this on the show before, and we were talking a minute uh, earlier about how my father is a musician. He does not Mm -hmm. know a thing about video games outside of Pong, but... He used to listen to Final Fantasy VI's music and say, wow, this is really, really interesting. Like, he, have you played Final Fantasy VI? Like, you're familiar with the yeah, Velt yeah, theme? Yeah. Uh, the, oh, the theme yeah. On, so when he heard that, he was like, wow, what a, what a great, like, sort of driving song. And he said the same thing about Terra's theme. So the fact that yeah. if someone's not, like, st- stuck up about video game music, because let's face it, some people can be extremely stuck up about video game music, especially the older generation. There's a lot there to discover and disassemble, and I think that speaks really highly to uh, particularly Iwamatsu's skill because he was, his was the music oh, yeah. I was listening to at the time. So yeah, I think that's uh, I'm I'm glad that the younger generation in particular is I realizing heard, the depth. I heard lessons. I heard uh, sorry. I heard the stories of, uh, for example, like piano teachers who never played a video game, listening to Tuzanarkand and being mind blown, like, oh wow, this yeah. is so good. What what is what's going on? And yeah, I think Wematsu in particular is uh, one of those composers who really like again. He went beyond what people thought video game music was. You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. even though they like just last month I discovered one detail about Final Fantasy IX that blew me away, and I'm like, wow, it took me becoming a composer and. Learned, having a few years of experience to notice this one detail in a, in a track that when Wilmatsu made like more than 10 years ago. <laughs> so back then he was doing things that most of us didn't even understand. And yeah. only now you're seeing like channels like 8-bit music theory or my channel and stuff like that. Only now, like oh, was it 20 years since Final Fantasy IX came out? Mm-hmm. Only now people are starting to get catch up to that. Yeah, so and that's, that's so cool. That's how good Wematsu is, you know. So <laughs> he he really is a, a genius, basically. Um, I think he composed the music as well for Rad Racer, which was a really, really old, really, really old NES game. Um, I was actually going to say I'm a child of the '80s. I'm I'm old. Let's face mm-hmm. it. And uh, I was just thinking about the song "Return to Oblivion," which is actually probably my favorite Primal's theme out of all the songs in Final Fantasy. Are you familiar with uh, Bronski Beat, um, Small Town Boy? Oh my God, bro! I I know this name. I know I heard it, but I, right now I cannot. I don't remember what yeah, it sounds yeah. like. But I I must have heard it. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm sure like if you heard it, you recognize it in two seconds. And it's been driving me up the wall because to me, <laughs> that is Soken referencing the 80s so, so very much. And oh. that I hear Small Town Boy every time I hear Return to Oblivion, which is great. I love Small Town Boy. It's one of my favorite songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I just love the fact that that's just kind of slipped in there a little bit. And so this is what I'm thinking. If I, ask, if I ever had the opportunity to ask him, hey, um, Soken, did you like do this? I want to see what he says to me. <laughs> Here, here's the thing about composers. So here's the thing about composers. Mm-hmm. There's there's probably a big chance that he actually was inspired by that song. But there's two things. Either he was like actively being like, yeah, I love this song so much. I want to do something similar to it. And he probably like, was like, I like, this groove, I'm going to do a groove similar to it. And then he wrote a different song, but with a groove similar to that. Or, very likely that he he was inspired by it, but he doesn't know. Right. Like, many times in my career, I have wrote something. We were talking about Overcrop Remix before. I have yeah. wrote something, and I was like, yeah, this is great. Wow. And then after, like, one year or two, I listened back to an old Overcrop Remix song that I listened to a lot when I was young. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> yes. I see where I got inspired from. You know, I haven't, I haven't heard that track for so many years when, uh, until the point when I composed my, my own track. But the ideas and the, the parts of it that I liked a lot were still in my memory. And mm-hmm. my, like, our creativity is not, it's not, it's usually never like 100% original. Everything is a remix of, of a course. remix of a remix of a remix. And uh, many times as a composer, you get these inspirations and you don't even know. Obviously, you, you don't plagiarize. Like if it's uh-huh. completely inspired, you, you will be able to be like, oh, wait, this is too similar to something that I know. <laughs> this and is a bit too it. much. <laughs> yeah, I had one time I, I, I wrote a track. And I'm like, this is the biggest thing ever. Oh, my God. Whoa, I've become a master composer. Yo, what the fuck? And I sent it to all my composing friends like, check this shit out. I'm so good. And then some were like, yo, this is that theme from Inception from Hans Zimmer. And I'm like, oh God. And he sent me the theme and I'm like, oh yeah, it's exactly the same thing. And you know, sometimes, but you feel it. Like when, you, when, when it's too good, you start to have doubts and you're like, maybe, maybe I'm copying someone. But many, many times you very often will be inspired by some music you heard many years ago and you forgot it, but not really. Your subconscious yes. still remembers and as a writer, I'm sure you must have, like, probably that must have happened to you as well. Like, oh, these ideas. Oh, it, it, like- it's happened a, a whole lot of times to me. When I was younger, um, I used to write, like, I don't know if you've ever read The Outsiders by Essie Hinton. Uh, I used to try to no write way. like her. And um, hmm. she wrote The Outsiders when she was 16 years old. So when I was that age, I thought, I'm going to be a big writer just like her. And it's like, oh, God, it was so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I but still it's, have- such a, it's, such a, it's such a beautiful, like, thing, though, to be able to, like, the thought of like, I want to be like him or like her, that's mm-hmm. a good thing. And I think as an artist, you, you discover your style, at least for me, that's how it has been. When you, you shamelessly follow the ones that really inspire you. Like you can even just say, write, like take a soaking track you really like and rewrite it exactly one-to-one. But no matter who you are, when you do that, you're not going to be able to do exactly what it did. You're going to have some mm-hmm. different things in there, which are... Your accent is like yes. when you speak a language that's not your own. You can try to imitate it as much as you can as possible, but there's still going to be your accent in there. And the more, like, the, the goal I think to find your the, the thing to find your style is to like find like keep track of all your inspirations and fuse them into one big chimera, mm-hmm. and then the combination of all of that becomes your style. Maybe you're someone who likes heavy metal, gent music, and you like mariachi music, but also you like the '80s, so you create 
metal mariachi music that has some <laughs> 80s synthesizers. I'm quite sure, sure there's no other artists like that out, out there. But there's a lot of artists who make metal, who make 80s synthesizers music, and who make mariachi music. But blending all three together is original, even though you didn't invent those. So I, I'm sure so can... And I can, like, personally, I'm like, you know, for example, that one... one I, I, don't, I still don't want to talk about this because I'm not sure. I, I'd rather ask him before <laughs> talking about it. But I think that the city-states of Gridania, uh, Ulda, and uh, Limsa Lominsa, the mm-hmm. themes, all three are each inspired by one big Hollywood movie specifically. And ah. I, I, I know which ones, but I'm wondering. Like, I don't want to say this because then people go crazy and they're like, oh, wow, so can this, did that. I'm like, no, no, no. I'd rather ask him. Of but course. I can tell as a composer, like, oh, probably you use this as a reference here, this as a reference here, and this here, which is very fitting. But uh, I'm sure that he must have, yeah. I don't want to, like, make you say which, which movies or anything like that. But would you say each one was inspired by a movie, inspired by the, like, that, that kind of goes with the setting, like something, a movie about the ocean being Limso Luminsa, a movie about the yes, desert being... Yes, okay. yes, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> and, okay. and it fits so well, by the way. And again, I don't know, maybe sometimes it's not even the composer, by the way. Like, when you make a video game soundtrack, obviously you have, like, the directors and stuff, and usually when a video game gets made, before the composer writes the music, uh, the directors and the people working on the game put some temporary music from other games, other of movies course. and stuff, yeah. in the build. And then when the compose, when the game is almost made, the composer gets hired and they tell him, oh, for this part, we were thinking of a theme like this. And maybe there's a Skyrim theme. Right. And then you as a composer know, okay, I have to figure out what they like so much about the Skyrim theme and do something around it, but do it differently because I don't yes. want to plagiarize. And I okay. think probably that's probably what happened with Apocalypse Noctis in Final Fantasy XV, which when people heard it, they were like, hey, this is a Skyrim remix, you know? But actually, but actually it's not. Like, there's a lot going in Apocalypse Noctis that is so different from Skyrim, but there's like a few seconds where it's similar. Mm-hmm. But Yoko mm-hmm. Shimura, I don't know if that's how it happened, obviously. I cannot speak to that. But that's what might have happened. So usually, sometimes it's the directors who tell you, I want something in this style, that style, and that style. And you have to accommodate them rather than you doing whatever you want. So, yeah. And it does make a little bit of sense because uh, Uematsu was pretty, uh, I don't want to say shameless, because that's not the word I'm looking for here, but he would sample sometimes, like, uh, of course, Purple Haze and One Winged Angel is one of the most famous uh, oh, examples. Oh, yeah, like, One Winged Angel, by the way, like, One Winged Angel, o- other than Purple Haze, uh, also, like, Espan's interview, Sira Vehementi, that, those lyrics, I don't think they were written by Uematsu. Like, oh. they were, I think they were written by Carl uh, Orff for the Carmina Burana, like, uh, piece. Right, okay. Part, if you search for Carl Orff, Eston's interviews, you're going to find something. And, uh, but it's not sang in the same way. The melody is different. But the lyrics are kind of that, like, burning inside, uh, and crazy anger, or in, in Latin, or something. But then we must kind of change it to, to Sephiroth, right? So it's not, the original was not. But obviously, uh, when these things happen, by the way, if... It actually is a reference, and the composer is like, "Hey, I want to actually, I wanted to use this piece." Then usually they are gonna make a deal, and the original composer is gonna get some royalties. Of so course. When like fans find similarities and stuff, they should know that they're all, usually they're they're like taken care of on a legal level. They're taken care of and, over uh, in, over there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I I don't know how it was for any of these tracks, but if there was a piece like this, surely it must have taken care of legally. 
what I always wanted to do, or sorry, what I always wanted to know is what happened with uh, Good King Mogamog and Danny Elfman, and this is Halloween. <laughs> there had to have been something in the background going on. <laughs> Probably, but it's just no. In that in that case, uh, oh my God, I, I think there must be many other songs that took example out of This Is Halloween. But yeah, it does sound very similar. It sounds almost like a parody song. But it's just, you know, similar, it's a similar genre. The arrangement might be very different. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure, but who knows? There, there's one example I always liked uh, being, you know, Rush hometown band and all that. Uh, I'm pretty certain that the beginning of uh, Maybe I'm a Lion from Final Fantasy VIII is beginning of YYZ, like that ding, 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 that sound oh, that's damn. perfect on, on it cue. Could, it, could, it could completely be because Uematsu was a huge fan, is a huge fan, rather, of progressive, progressive rock, progressive yeah, metal. Yeah, absolutely, so 100%. It, it could be. Yes. You know? And uh, again, like, this occurs all the time. Like, I saw a, a video uh, the other day about Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson. And mm -hmm. Mark Ronson is known to be a music producer who likes to sample everything. And <laughs> Uptown Funk is like, if you really dissect it with a lot of knowledge, you're going to find all the different sources of a inspiration they, they used to build the hook of the track. And it feels like a chimera, you know? The head is this song, the tail is that song, and that's how music is made. Yeah, it's pretty that's awesome, isn't it? Literally, yeah. Actually going to ask you, um, speaking of uh, inspirations and everything like that, have you really changed how you listen to uh, To The Edge since learning about Sokin composing the song, basically Whoa. being treated by, with the, he, to people who don't know, uh, Sokin revealed at FanFest this year that he was, he composed To The Edge, which is one of the uh, most, one of the most emotional songs in, in Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, it's the ending uh, boss thing for 5.3. He composed that while he was being treated for chemotherapy. Like he was alone in the hospital while, while this was going on. And, it's a very, very yeah. emotional song to begin with. And just learning that about it, it just blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Like, uh, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed with, again, the man's positivity. Absolutely. Because th throughout the time, like, literally nobody, I think nobody, had, like, at, at least in the community, had an inkling of an idea that Soken might be going through hard times. Mm -hmm. Like, because Soken is, even on, he posts on social media very often. And he's always such a nice, happy-go-lucky person. He's so person happy. He's so could, funny. Yeah. You, you could never guess something like that was happening to him. So I, I'm blown away by that. Also, writing that amount of music that he wrote in general and intensity is hard for anybody. And even harder, like, if, if, you're, if you're fighting with cancer stuff, it's just... That's incredible. So, yeah, I was obviously very, very incredibly impressed. And the, 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 the track that came out of that, uh, probably To The Edge ended up sounding more emotional than something like that, also because of, because of this. Because when, when you mm -hmm. make music, if you're on a deep emotional state, you might create on a more intense level. Like, you might put more of yourself in the song. And uh, I'm... Probably that must have happened. I, I, I hope, like, I wish that he doesn't have to go through something like this again and that he has an amazing, you know, life from now on without problems and that he defeats cancer. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, and because, I mean, like, I don't want people to kind of fetishize this in a way and to be like, right. oh, yeah, suffering creates the best art. No, because yeah, absolutely. It can, but it's not a good belief to have in a way or it's not a good thing to celebrate. Like, I mm -hmm. think... Uh, it does, but also 
I wish every artist in the world to have good health and, you know, good fortune and to just be happy because also happiness is a very intense emotion and that can lead to a lot of inspiration as well. No, absolutely. And did that change the way I listened to, to the edge? Yeah, definitely. Like many things sound different now, even the, the ticking clock that starts at the beginning of the song. Even though that one is actually a reference to the Neath Dark Waters, like Amorod track, which the ticking clock represented the final days coming. But now it also has this other, you know, emotion attached to it in a way. And what I'm thinking about is like, I wonder how Jason Charles Miller took it, like the singer. Mm. Because Jason, is, a, is he's an incredible vocalist. And he's this yes. person who, he gives his best on pretty much every job that he does. Like he really, doesn't matter how big or small, seems like a person, I was talking to him on an interview and it's like, he has this work ethic of always doing the best he can. And he told me about how he wrote the vocals or to the edge. And he really did. I think he told me he did like many versions and he sent different versions to Sok. And even though they just asked for one, he's like, no, I'm going to try my best mm-hmm. as possible. And uh, he was like in the studio until late at night and stuff. And he really put his soul in it. And I'm like, I wonder how he felt when he learned the truth about how the song was made on Sok inside to know that, you know, all that effort that he did was actually going for something even bigger. Like, because I'm sure that when Soken received those vocals, he probably must have cried a lot. Like, he probably was feeling very grateful for the fact that he asked Jason in the first place, you know, mm-hmm. because he was able to deliver such an incredible... And that surely made Soken feel better. So in a way, probably yeah. Jason must have helped Soken fight this fight and understand, like, we care so much about Aww. what you do and about you and... You are, I'm honored to work with you. And all these feelings he must have felt from Jason and Jason. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Even I, like in, in a stupid way, I made a to the edge remix uh, when the track came out last summer. And I shared that on Twitter, like a funky remix of 15 seconds playing the funky bass over it. So and good. Soken I love that bass. Mind. Holy crap, that bass, yeah, right? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so Soken lost his mind and it's like awesome. he shared it himself and he remixed him. He re-remixed it, adding some Moogle sounds. And he's like, now you have to make a full version of it. And I'm like, okay. And I did it. And I, I had no idea that he, he went through that. And so when he received that remix and he saw the remix, he was very happy about it. Not only because like he liked it, but mostly also because of the emotional weight that that song had and to know that his work inspired people to this level probably hit him very you know positively so yeah it's uh that whole story just reminded me of one important truth which is like be kind to people because you have no fucking idea what they're going through oh ab- absolutely I'm a, that's a very 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 big thing for me uh, it was very nice of you to come yeah. on interview for example <laughs> that was a yeah that was like awesome of you well well thank you for having me i'm really having a good time here oh no problem i actually um wanted to finish off by talking just a little bit about the Endwalker theme, which, yeah. uh, first of all, holy crap, I only just watched that video of you comparing the jazz to that Stormblood <laughs> interlude. Yeah. Like, I'm like, holy, how did I not hear that? And that, that was perfect. How did you even disassemble that? I guess that's just said that the walking bass kind of clued you in. Form of blood, born from blood of a fallen brother. It was that. Like I, I, I know that Soken really takes bass seriously, and yes. the song was recorded with the band, the Primals, like Soken's band, and the bass player of the the Primals is insane. He is. He's out of his mind. He's great. Yeah, the, I think like Soken and and uh, I think uh, the, the the second guitarist's name, who's also the vocalist, is Gun. I think mm-hmm. those two steal the show quite a lot. 
because they're super hype. And also the drummer is super good. So I feel the, the bass player seems the most like chill of the of the of the band. Yeah. But the things that he does are insane. So I when I when I listen to Sokin's music, I'm always kinda on the lookout for the bass lines. And in that part, I was like, whoa, that I was recording the video and I was like, that bass is crazy. What the hell is he doing? And then I then then I was like, yeah, this could sound jazzy. But then I went on with the video. And I, I just want shooting a reaction to the whole song. And that was like the, the second time I ever listened to the song ever in my life. And when I finished the video, I went back and I'm like, damn, this really is jazzy. Let me write a, let me, let me see. What if I, what if I, and I started thinking, what if I put some jazz drums on this and played a bit more jazzily? And I was like, well, this is definitely, that's what they wanted to do with this bass line. It definitely is like a walking jazzy bass line. And the rest came by itself. And I just noticed these things as a composer because I, I like music of multiple genres and I like to demystify how much there is going on in video game music because people often ignore it because yes. obviously it's not, it's not easy to know, you know, because you need to have a certain year. But yeah, and also knowing that like Soken, when I was, I, I, I interviewed him some time before and he, in the interview, I was with Husky by the Geek, who's a friend of mine who's makes some of the best Final Fantasy XIV covers. And so can praise Husky for his guitar skills. And I was like, yeah, he definitely deserves it. And then he told me that, oh, your ear is amazing, Alex. Like, I was watching your videos and the way you talk about, like, I made a video about Shadowbringers and I talk about the fact that at the end of the song, the song is all like, kind of sad because it's in a minor key. And at the end, mm -hmm. the song turns into a major key just for a second. And that coincides mm -hmm. with the moment where the Warrior of Light becomes the Warrior of Darkness, slays the Sin Eater. And, you know, he had this big reveal, Shadowbringers. Yeah, in that that's moment, awesome. The choir does, or something yeah. <laughs> very major. And in the video, I was like, this is the only moment in the song where we go to major. And I think this represents the fact that the Warrior of Light is now victorious after all the struggles he went through in this whole trailer. Mm -hmm. And Soken is like, in that video, you said this thing. And I'm like, this is exactly what I was trying to do with oh, the music. And he was able beautiful. to... And yeah, and, to, and I've, I've had this feedback from... A few other composers as well, but to have it from Sogan too, I'm like, whoa. So I became even more motivated to like demystify and you know, show these secrets because the composer obviously appreciate when they see someone gets what they're trying to do. Yes. And the fans also get blown away and they really start to understand why video game music is special. Because it's one thing to say, oh, it's special because, you know, this theme played a, at a very cool boss fight. But it's another thing to say it's special because it's made with a level of skill and care and passion and craft that people cannot even fathom. So I agree. that's what I'm trying to like bring forth. That's really cool. Like uh, your breakdowns are really amazing. And just I never even realized uh, until your video that, yes, you only get that major key at the very, very end. Because I was always focusing on the minor version of the Crystal Tower theme, which, of course, Graha oh, yeah. theme as well, which is just, oh, it hits me every single time as like an old school Final Fantasy yeah. fan. So I'm glad that you pointed out, wait a minute, there's there's a there's a small change here that means a lot. And that's the fun thing about music is different people constructed deconstructed different ways. And uh Endwalker in particular is must be a really fun thing to deconstruct because you have all the themes we've heard so oh far God. appearing one after another after <laughs> another, except I think the only new theme, and I could be wrong about this, please correct me if I am, is the Charlian, uh when you're when we're panning over Charlian. I think that's a new theme. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, that and the uh, and obviously the end walker like ba -da -da, yeah, da -da, yeah. that, that thing there, and 
I think there's people in my, sometimes when I make my videos, people in the comments had some very interesting speculations, which I didn't think about. So what they were talking about with the Endwalker theme is that the main theme sang by uh, Sam Carter, the singer for Architects, uh, represents Zodiac. And the old Shardian theme, which is sent by Amanda Aiken, or Asian, I don't know how to say the, the surname, which is the singer of Tomorrow and Tomorrow, represents Hydaelyn. And I'm like, ah. oh, this, this sounds very good. Cool. We already had a theme, like a trailer theme with male and female vocals, that Shadowbringers. But that's a cool speculation. Yeah, maybe, that, maybe that is very cool. Because it, yeah. it kind of has that dueling theme almost. Um, my husband, who's not really big in music, not really big into Final Fantasy fourteen. he was watching the trailer alongside me because I'm like, come on, I watch wrestling with you all the time. you got to watch this with me. And he's, <laughs> uh, he heard the opening of that trailer and he said, why is the Smashing Pumpkins singing? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not the Smashing Pumpkins. But I understand why you'd think that. That very yeah. melancholy sound that I grew up with in the 90s. So uh, it's a yeah. very, very diverse trailer. Holy crap. Yeah, it's very great. And uh, yeah, those are the only two like uh, new themes, I think. And the other themes are just the old ones, but just improved even further after all these years. I don't know Something how he does that. Something that someone pointed out uh, recently that I think is really incredible is the Heavenward theme where you see Istinian, and oh, I'm so glad that there's another Great Worm in the game. Holy crap, that's amazing. Yeah. I just love the <laughs> fact that now he's in real Dragoon riding, because the dragons are supposed to ride on dragons, not fight them, and they brought him back, and now he's riding a dragon mm. the way he should be. Uh, but you hear the dragon chorus in the background, and the dragons are actually singing a new song, and they're basically asking, what will you choose, the land or the moon? And I thought, oh my god, wow. that's incredible. They are, first of all, it's incredible someone could hear that, Second of all, it's yeah. really awesome that they're not just like, oh, here's Heaven's Word again. It means something else now. That's cool. And also, it's a Final Fantasy IV reference, maybe, which is great. Oh, God, yeah. That's like... One of my favorites. One of my favorites, so, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I was very lucky because I got it as a gift for Game Boy Advance, and uh, mm -hmm. I didn't have many time, many games at the time. Like, new Final Fantasy? Okay, I, I dig it. Blew me away. It's nice. The, Final Fantasy IV is the Game of Thrones of Final Fantasy. <laughs> To me, it's Absolutely. crazy like that. Yeah, no, four four is definitely one of my favorites, and I'm so glad that fourteen uh, has not just with Endwalker, which has already has a ton, a ton, a ton of Final Fantasy four references, like with the lunar whale and going to the moon in the first place. Oh, I yeah. think the the naming ways are there, as or I think they're the Beast Tribe or something's going on there. So I'm really glad to see. I I just want to see remixes of some of the 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 best themes in that game. I really really want to see oh, a remix damn. of Inside the Giant. Battle with... Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, also, I, like, I, Battle with the Four Fiends would be great. Yes. Like, if 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 we see freaking Barbaricha and all the other... Rubicante, etc. in Final Fantasy fourteen, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose it. Maybe, maybe we, we might even even got some already. I don't know. Like, probably I lost track because I haven't done, like, the, some of the side content. Like, I know yeah. there's some Final Fantasy six like, great that I haven't done, but... Mm -hmm. If if I see that, I'm gonna lose it. But I'm wondering if we're ever going to see in the next expansion some something like that, but for Final Fantasy like seven, yes, or ten or something like a raid where you fight Sin, like that would be yeah. incredible. I was so, actually yeah. just talking to some friends of mine who really wanted to see some Final Fantasy ten and Final Fantasy fourteen because I'm an old old school Final Fantasy fan. They're a little bit newer, and they're like, oh, we really want some ten content, and it's like, well, we yeah, don't exactly. really have a lot of ten content, so. We're, this will be good. We're this gonna get anima. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna get yeah. anima in, in uh Endwalker. That's good. But that I think that's just an appetizer. I'm like, yeah, give us yeah, the full Yeah, yeah, more, more, more. But uh yeah. yeah, six 
six was an interesting reveal because six is my favorite final fantasy it was the one that means the most to me and i just remember flying around as is law which is a very creepy kind of place to begin with like that kind of dead technological yeah. empire and i saw the warring triad and knowing what they represented in Final Fantasy VI, the literal end of the world, I nearly crapped my pants. <laughs> Just seeing them there, I was like, oh my god, this, yeah. I'm sure this is fine. I'm sure nothing's going to come of this. So that was just such an incredible moment for me. Yeah, it's amazing when they do that. Like when they uh, reference these things that mean a lot to like the people who grew up with uh, with those games. Like mm-hmm. I, I mostly grew up with the ones after six, but I, I did play six as well. And when I see those, I'm like, damn, like, yeah. Final Fantasy, the people who grew up with this game specifically are going to lose their minds, you know? Yeah. And And I think that's another reason why I started to play because that on top of the song, I talked, I'll talk to you earlier about the song Answers and seeing that on top of the, was the battle at Cartano Flats when the Dalamode is is falling, that whole Mm. opening video, which is frankly to to my mind, still one of the best pieces of video game cinematography ever done. Oh, and yeah. just all those references, one after another after another. You have the Magitek armor, you have Meteor. Yeah, oh, God. And you have yeah. the fact that it's not just Meteor, but Bahamut comes out of the Meteor. And it's like when people yeah. say to me, well, what's so, what's so important about Final Fantasy XIV? What's so good about it? I say, well, if you're a fan, just that video to begin with shows you everything that the game's about. Here's a reference, here's a reference, here's a reference, here's a reference. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, very interesting how they are able to in a way, reuse these things that we've seen before, but make them sound or look fresh and new. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Final Fantasy does this quite a lot, actually. Like, there's many things that happen the same. Like, oh, there's always crystals. There's always these summons. There's always blah, blah, blah. But it's always kind of new and it's always kind of interesting. And 14 is the epi- like the, the best example of that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, this podcast is sponsored by Square Enix at this point. Like, <laughs> buy Final Fantasy XIV. No, it's really a great game. I, w- I would recommend it to anyone who has the time and, and patience to go through some of... Like, because some parts of it are maybe a bit slow. And also, I don't think the the, the subscription is that expensive. Because, like, mm-hmm. we all, for the most part, pay for Netflix. Kind of. And Final Fantasy XIV gave me several thousands of hours of actual quality entertainment personally the only thing is like maybe if you're somebody who can only play like one hour per week or i don't know three four hours per week then yeah maybe it's expensive but if you play one two hours per day then totally worth it oh i think so my i suppose my last question i want to go out on is what do you predict for endwalker's musical themes what do you think soak in what, what what instruments do you think he'll rely on what styles do you think he'll he'll go for because it, again it's a little hard to tell with what we know of the endwalker theme with how how different it is my god well uh, the one thing that i see is that soken is as i said before he's kind of a rock star and mm-hmm. i find that <laughs> you know throughout the game like with the realm reborn it was more very orchestrated yes but there were some themes like, uh, you know, uh, Titan was very rock. And then Havoc's one was a bit orchestrated. But, like, he's always trying to go to rock more and more and more. Shadowbringers, like, was where he finally got to do a battle theme, like a main battle theme that actually has a lot of guitars going on and stuff. And uh, I feel that he's going for that more. Like, with the Underwalker, I'm like, yeah, this, is, this sounds like a Foo Fighters song in a way. And I, I feel that. Yeah, I feel that probably we're going to 
we're gonna go for it. But even like, you know, there's some other vibes. Like for example, there's uh, the Gauntlet dungeon in Final Fantasy fourteen Shadowbringers. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which patch it was, maybe 5.3. In the Gauntlet, <laughs> there's there's a section of it that has that reminds me of James Bond, like a lot. <laughs> Beautiful. Like I could make a video about it and people are gonna be like, yeah, this is definitely inspired by James Bond music. So I don't know. I, I just feel that he just gets crazier and crazier the more time goes on. But Endwalker is going to take place in some uh, locations that are uh, seem to be like inspired by Indian culture and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I actually have, I have no idea. Maybe they're going to go for that more exotic vibe or maybe, you know, ethnic Indian style world music and stuff like that. But I feel whatever they choose to do, there's going to be rock. Oh, yes. Probably more. Probably even more than there was before. So. Which is okay with Maybe. me. Yeah, no, it's okay for everybody, I think. But also, we're going to we're going to the moon. Uh, maybe there's going to be some electronic stuff. I don't know. I, I have no idea. Going back to what we were talking about, Final Fantasy IV, I'm not just hoping for a remix of Inside the Giant. I, have you, ever, you, you know the moon theme from Final Fantasy IV and how odd it is, right? Like, yeah. there's strange trumpets and and everything like that and the there's also the lu- 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 sorry the lunarian theme which is very mm. when i first heard that it's really struck me as something beyond like to transcended snes music because it was so so mysterious to me i want yeah. remixes of both those i don't want to say to soken hey remix this hey remix all my favorite music from those <laughs> old games but i feel like they were such mysterious good songs to begin with he could really do some real magic to them i want to i want to well, hear well, that here's the th- Here's the thing that he can, uh, like, yeah, he, he can either remix them or he could take that idea of, like, because, like, what the, those themes add is, like, when you hear them, they don't sound like anything you would hear on planet Earth. That's kind of, right. like, the idea. you. So that's why they are the moon themes and stuff. And, yeah, I, 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 he could at least, like, uh, maybe just write some original, but that has the same quality of being, like, mysterious in a way that humans would not understand. Or that doesn't sound like it belongs in Hydaelyn. You know, right, and, uh, right. It's not an easy challenge, by the way. It's like because, like, as a composer, you are used to do things a certain way, and to know, like, oh, now I need to write a track that takes everything that I know and doesn't do it. Yeah. How do you do that? You know, it's it's not easy at all. So I, I don't know. Good luck, Soken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what no. I would say. Uh, I, if you're watching this, Soken, we know you can do it. You're you're really cool. <laughs> We'd like you very much. We believe in you. So thank you so, so very much, Alex, for coming and talking to me about game music in general. It's a subject that means a lot to me, and I'm always eager to talk about it. And you were a lot of fun to talk to. No problem. It was a lot of fun for me as well. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. And stay tuned, uh, Axe of the Blood God fans, because we have the epic boss battle of the week, or epic, whatever we call it. We haven't decided on that yet, so please don't go away. Thank you so, so very much to Alex for coming on and giving us that really cool interview. We had a great time discussing all the RPG music in general and like the themes behind Final Fantasy XIV in particular and what we can expect with Endwalker and which, as Alex said, is probably all going to go back to rock. Whatever the style Soken chooses will all go back to rock. Man, he's charming. Man, man. Have you ever met him? Like, <laughs> No, no, I haven't. He just exudes charisma in everything he does he absolutely does and i recommend you check out his youtube channel if you have not already i i was just watching his Endwalker trailer breakdown from when they released the the mm-hmm. full full version of the trailer and 
the 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 part where it breaks into the Stormblood theme, the storm of blood born from blood of our fallen yeah. brothers. Um, <clears throat> I was, I'm I'm a, I'm a musical theater guy, and and obviously theater has not been around for a little bit <laughs> as of right now. Um, yeah, but uh, I. Uh, I, I do have a project starting up in the new year, which means I kind of have to get back into vocal shape and 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 work on my voice a little bit. And um, the uh, I, I was just listening to his breakdown of the that Stormblood section, and and the point in that song is uh, I, I can't remember the name of the singer off the top of my head, but he's incredible and just like vocally so amazing. And the when it when it flips up to those high notes, that's a it's a high it go it ultimately goes up to a high D and then it levels off at a high C. And those are like mwah, those are tenor notes that I just those are I live for those. That's that's such a nice rock and roll place to live. And the the last show that I did before quarantine, that was that was my character's high notes in in that show. So I've I've been using the I've been using the Endwalker theme to warm up and get back into vocal shape for next year. So yeah, it's it's been really great. That's so perfect because it's so it's so varied. So it, it's just like perfect for doing. Yeah, that. yeah, it's an amazing piece. I suppose we should talk about well our boss and our boss actually. If you want to talk about <sighs> fantastic music. That accompanies a boss theme. This week we are doing Elidibus from Final Fantasy XIV because we're on topic here, people, and Kat's not here to restrain me, so here I go. <laughs> you got the two of us in one room. It's going to be Final Fantasy talk all the way down. All the way, like turtles all the way down. going to be Final Fantasy all the way down. <laughs> Genbu all the way down. I should warn you all that this actually discussion will probably have major spoilers for Shadowbringers. 5.3 in particular, so if you do not want spoilers, you might want to maybe fast forward for a bit. So here we go. I think this is actually one of the best boss battles in a Final Fantasy game, just putting it out there. I am inclined to agree. Tell me, tell, give me your thoughts uh, about the whole thing, because, and, and and truly, if, if, if people don't want spoilers, this is such a, like, culmination of, like, video game history that I, I beg uh -huh. people to experience, experience it the way it was meant to be experienced if you can. So, if, if you're thinking, ah, maybe I don't mind spoilers, but you've, like, started 14 or you're interested in getting into it, just just skip ahead, because this is... It's momentous. It's it's truly one of the coolest boss fights I've, I've ever experienced. Well, the fact that it starts, the whole the very first thing that happens is Elidibus slash Warrior of Light holds that pose as the Final Fantasy One box art by Yoshitaka Amano. That just says it all to me. That's just such an, such an amazing flourish. It's incredible. And... Part of part of the thing that I love about 5.3 and, and the story that it's telling, and so 
hold on. Where do I start? Do do we do we want to talk just <laughs> about that like that boss fight and five point three, or or do we want to talk about Elidibus as a character, or how how would how would you like this to? go? I think we talk a bit about Elidibus as a character because I think that's important to the fight as well. Yeah. So there's there's a really kind of interesting meta layer to all of this because that the Asians themselves are you know they're they're the organization 13 of ff14 you know they're they're like a group of yeah they're they're this group of of 14 robed figures that are secretly uh you know playing with things from behind the scenes they're the they're the puppet masters of eorzea um but you know you know in in 1.0 they <clears throat> didn't have names um they were just sort of an entity um that you know whatever whatever the original lore was for for 1.0 we're never gonna know We'll we'll never find out what the yeah. Asians were supposed to be the first time around, and and the nature of fourteen is that they're usually planning story stuff about two years in advance. Um, mm. and I I also I, I want to give a shout out to uh, Anonymous. Um, FF fourteen fans will know him as one of the foremost lore masters in the community. Um. I, I consulted with him beforehand just to like make sure I have an okay idea of of Elidibus's whole track and and what his deal sort of is. Um, but uh, yeah, he he presents himself as this sort of emissary. He kind of he he he's the only one of the Asians who wears a white robe. Um, Whenever he shows up, he sort of seems to be at odds with what the black-robed Asians are doing. Sometimes he seems like he's trying to partner up with you. Sometimes he doesn't. Uh, there, there's this whole... He was always sort of presented to be an enigma. And... Mm -hmm. I... I hate to shatter any illusions some people might have but I have no reason to believe that they had any idea what they were going to do with Elidibus when he first showed up. I, um, <laughs> he, I think, I think Ishikawa knew that she would be writing the main scenario for 5.0 and then also the main scenario for 5.3. And I think she stuck the landing so hard with a character that could have gone in so many different directions and she just did mm. this incredible uh like justified everything within the narrative but also added this cool meta layer of the warrior of light and what that means and i i think right. it's, it was just it was the prestige, man. Like she just, <laughs> she she did something incredible with a loose framework of ideas that were sort of more supposed to just be setting the tone and casting doubt. And you know, Elizabeth has really been up to that point. 
the character who shows up in an end credit scene to make everybody go, ooh, <laughs> what does that mean? He's a thread. Yeah, yeah. But, um... Yeah, tell me. I, I want to know. I want to know how what you think of Elidibus and 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 just sort of that that build up to to his his grand finale because I, I it's so cool. I think I compared Elidibus once to uh, a kid who just wants mom and dad to stop fighting, and <laughs> a kid with a lot of yeah. power who wants mom and dad to stop fighting, and that was yeah. one of the big uh, turning reveals at in the game is. Uh, He's not necessarily a kid. Someone actually described him as Grahatia if Grahatia were an Asian. Just over-eager, still quite young, still quite small. So he does come off as very childlike. And yeah. he, he does honestly have like one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the entire game, if not an RPG at the end. Uh, yeah. And when I go back to, say, A Realm Reborn, and I hear the voice acting... It's like, okay, here's a Lydibus who whose scene still makes me cry, frankly. The way it's delivered is just so perfect. And then I get to Minfilia mm -hmm. in ARR, and I'm like, uh, Minfilia, get off the stage, sweetheart. <laughs> so you can really tell how much work has gone into Final Fantasy XIV's voice acting, refining it. And that scene alone yeah. is a good testament to that. But the fight itself, holy crap. Like, for one thing, a Lydibus... All of his attacks are like what you expect from Warrior of Light. He can do summons. He can do uh, holy attacks. He also yeah. does a... He, he breaks the limit, doesn't he? He does a, uh, he charges the limit break four times instead of three times, and that just freaks everyone out yeah. when you see it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> he limit breaks the <laughs> limit break. <laughs> he, he broke the limit break. And then when he's done yeah. that, he summons Warriors of Light. He says, two me Warriors of Light. And he summons the Warriors of Light like manifestations of them and they're all final yeah. fantasy 14 characters sorry final fantasy 4 characters like representations of them yeah which i yeah. think is amazing it, it's incredible and and the especially because of the, the the way we know primals work in ff14 and this idea that you know faith informs mm -hmm. and, and belief informs the way a primal manifests and having that build up of you know it's I, I, I sort of I I think of 5.3 as like the the idea of an MMO kind of buckling under itself because you see Elidibus mm. manipulates everyone in the world into believing that they are also warriors of light. And that starts to bolster yes. everyone's faith in the idea of a warrior of light. And and, you know, what? What happens in an MMO when all of the NPCs start to think they're player characters? And and yeah. you, you sort of get that <laughs> that um that the way that sort of manifests in the game is that like the barriers between worlds break down and and warriors of light from all different dimensions or at least you know shades of the warriors of light start to fill the world and it's it's chaos the 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 hero's gauntlet is just this chaotic mess and you see like would be final fantasy right. protagonists uh like just other jobs that aren't present in the world we're in, but could be present in other uh, other shards of the world. 
and and you just get this it's just this maelstrom of warriors of light and what that means and and how you watch kind of the fabric of the world start to collapse and it really shows Elidibus's conviction for this idea of the warrior of light and then the extra layer on top of that is that he's the warrior of light the the illustration like you said he's he's Amano's warrior of light he's the origin of final fantasy and and god uh i just get chills thinking about it it's it's incredible he's uh as someone in uh i once saw on youtube said hey it's mr final fantasy there he is that's exactly who he is <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and the the in-game mechanics of that fight are like you say just so cool just everything is fourth wall breaking everything is you know it's it's such a a, a culmination of so much tension that it's just it's so satisfying. Um, and uh, uh, regarding sort of like the end scene, the the very sad where where you see Elidibus in his sort of childlike form, just mourning the loss of his friends. One thing that that Anonymous showed me is that depending on the translation, that scene has really, really different tones across all the different languages really um yeah mm. uh especially the the english version is especially um uh bittersweet uh they mm. they really kind of they really kind of cranked up the the empathy dial and made it very much about elidibus you know mourning his friends but also kind of being ready be, being ready to be done with his task and and being ready to move on um and then uh, i think especially the german translation is very angry um elidibus is very upset really? and and yeah uh and then but but moose sort of put together kind of an amalgamation of of the uh some other translations that sort of shows uh, a, a difference in tone, and and it's very mournful. It it's not so much about like mm. you know I I tried my best and I'm done now. It's very like I'm the last one. We lost. I I failed, and now I'm just done. And that's how it ends. And it's. It's so sad. It's it's so sad. What did the Japanese translation go with, like tone wise? Do you know? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, no, I, I I don't know for certain. Um, but I know that like w the the English version with the his, his little ending monologue where he says, you know, the rains have ceased and we have been graced with another beautiful day, but you're not here to see it. Uh, which is, oh, <laughs> uh, huh? It still gets me. Um, <laughs> yeah, still makes me tear up. Uh, that I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's unique to the English version, and and was was made to be mm -hmm. sort of a more poetic and and more like a resigned to just this sort of the, the state of things, and but yeah, it's it's very cool. It's it's something worth looking up if. If you're a, a fan of 14 story and um, 
you know, the, the different translations, usually always each one kind of has something a little idiomatic to that particular version yes. that is usually kind of enlightening or, or shed some more light on on some things. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely gonna have to look that up now because I had no idea. Uh, I do. But the the song across all like to the edge, that's the same across all the the versions of the game, correct? Yes. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. And Alex and I were talking a little bit about that and how it came to light recently that Sokin composed that when he was extremely sick getting chemotherapy for sick cancer, alone in a hospital because he can't really have visitors because <laughs> of COVID. None of his friends except for Yoshi P knew what was going on. And just the fact that he composed such a, a fantastic, really emotional song while being ill was just incredible. And the lyrics of that song I always thought were extremely interesting because they uh, each primal song is technically usually about the primal you are fighting and so To the Edge is I guess about not just about Elizabeth but the Astians in general who above all else seem to be afraid of being forgotten and that to me is so interesting because in I think it's been confirmed that certain aspects of the Asian still still linger, particularly the efforts of Asm, who you are, or you once were, as a warrior of light. So you have the Asm Plains, for example, which has an entire culture around you as the warrior of light, and you were the sun god, you were the one who represented the sun. So you are still there, the Asians <clears throat> are still there, just not in the way they want to be remembered. And yeah. for all their strength, they seem to kind of not get that, and I think that's very interesting. Well, and it, it sort of speaks to what happened to Elidibus and, and if you sort of take like the the Asians desire to bring back Zodiac as sort of like a a, a faith and, and even though they're tempered, they they have like you know, it, it sort of feels like a, a metaphor for, for faith and, and misguided faith. Um and and Elidibus especially, he even says in his monologues that, you know, he he doesn't really remember why he's supposed to do this. He doesn't entirely remember what he's fighting for. It's been so long. His his his, his consciousness has, is so distorted that he doesn't really remember why. He just knows he has to do this thing. So the 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 contrast between like we want to be remembered, but we're struggling to figure out what started this in the first place, why we want to be remembered, what this is all for, what this purpose is. But we know we've been struggling for so long that it has to still be important to us. And then when you see things like the, the way they've manifested in modern Eorzea with, you know, the, the Twelve, and like you say, the Azim step, mm -hmm. which is, you know, has has roots in Azem, which was the warrior of lights, uh, a convocation member, um, and the the member of the twelve, Azema, who you know we we see that right. that different different cultures ended up interpreting this thing slightly differently. And it evolved and grew into other things and flourished and gave birth to other cultures and civilizations. So it's it's this um, the Asians are clinging to something. They don't even remember why. 
they just it's it's just this selfishness that that zodiac has imparted on them when right in front of them is what happens when you let old things go and turn into something new you get the warrior of light and you get the the cultures of of the aura and it it splits off into the the 12 in eorzea and and i i think we might see a bit of what that turns into in in the new raid series in endwalker because that's going to be all about the 12 mm. and we know so little about the actual 12 or if there is an actual 12 you know um <laughs> exactly so, yeah yeah it's 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 this wonderful story about how faith can evolve and turn into something better than what it was yeah i am i'm so ready for endwalker i know it's the same scenario writer and just uh i think it's gonna be completely rad rad i tell you i'm i'm beyond stoked i like this game nadia <laughs> i, I kind of like it too a little bit just just a bit i i am just like here's a problem with with like game announcement season rpg announcement season in general it's like summer's finally here. The warm weather's finally here. It's really nice. But I'm like, oh, I want fall to be here so I can play all these new games. <laughs> yeah, I want it I want it to be cold out so that I'm justified in staying inside and playing Endwalker through November, December. Yeah. Well, I know it'll certainly be miserable enough here in Toronto to justify that. I don't know so much about Vancouver. True. <laughs> it'll be rainy there. I'm... Yeah, it, it'll get rainy. It it won't be um, a, a society halting blizzard, but uh, yeah, it'll it'll get rainy enough. Or heaven forbid, it snows at all in Vancouver, and everyone forgets how to drive. Uh, oh dear, <laughs> they forget how to drive in Toronto too. It's just, even though it snows all the time, it just <laughs> it happens. What are you gonna do? But we do have like salters and, and stuff like that. And you guys don't have that as much. Oh yeah, we we get we get a light flurry, and everyone. Everyone freaks out. <laughs> Time to panic and freak out. So uh, this has been a lot of fun to speak to you because I've been wanting to get really in depth with and with a uh, with a uh, to the edge for a long time. So I'm I'm glad you were able to join me for that particular boss fight discussion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Thank you so much for that. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. Anytime I get to to talk about any anytime I get to take a deep dive into any element of fourteen, I'll take it. So. Yeah, I'm really hoping when Endwalker comes, maybe we can have you on along with Mike, because we always have Mike on for our Final Fantasy XIV discussions. But for now, we are done here, I believe. And uh, thank you so very much, Victor, for coming and joining us. Where can we find you? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Victor E. Hunter, V-I-C-T-O-R, the letter E, Hunter. Um, I'm, uh, I, 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 this is pretty relevant. I'm, I'm currently releasing a weekly uh chapter by chapter audiobook version of the Final Fantasy 14 lore book the Encyclopedia Eorzea volume 1 um so if if you're interested at all in FF14 if you're a new player lore is how I got interested in 14 in the first place um it it, it was it was community members making stuff like this that that got me really interested. So if it's if it's something you're not even sure about, you don't even know if you want to play, check out check out the lore book. It's it's got cool stuff, and uh, and I'm I'm trying to keep it regular so that um, so that there's always a new chapter coming out. Um, and for veteran players, 
it's it's nice to you never know what you're going to learn what background details you're going to find out and and especially for people who like doing the role play side of things it's great for for figuring out backstories or just uh just having a, a more cohesive understanding of of the world um and uh if if you really don't hate the sound of my voice and you want a mobile rpg to play uh nintendo's very own dragalia lost i'm the main character in that i play prince yuden so check that out it's a super fun project and the the community around that game is is really lovely and of course you can find me at nadia oxford on twitter and you can find us at uh patreon.com forward slash blood god pod you can also find us on stitcher spotify wherever cool podcasts are sold please do support us on patreon please keep listening to us tell your friends about us i think we're very cool and i'd like it if more cool people listen to us uh, hey you don't have to be cool to listen to us you can just listen to us lend us your ears that's all we ask of you and uh, i guess that's it for me and this has been another solo solo adventure by myself and this of course has been a bit of a mess because i am not the host cat is the organized one amongst us so that's why she usually hosts you did great <laughs> thank you so very much thank you so much victor thanks for coming on and thank you so very much to alex for coming on and we will see you next week until next time for alex for victor and for myself and for our absent cat who is still getting cigarettes happy adventuring mm-hmm.